This is Charity Prado and I'm Allison Calla and we are She Catalyst empowering you to create more social impact in your business and life. Stay tuned as we interview powerful women leaders who are changing the world and share inspiring wisdom and advice for other women just like you. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Today, we're interviewing Miss Elaine Rasmussen. She is the founder and CEO of Social Impact Strategies Group, a black native certified B Corp social enterprise, guys. And I'm super excited to talk to her because I can tell you that her work is creating more inclusive entrepreneurial ecosystems that help provide those resources to black and minorities and so many other folks who are left out typically in the system. And so she does that by providing facilitation and consultations through her company on racial equity and social impact audits, as well as education workshops for investors and underestimated entrepreneurs. Because let's face it, that tends to be the fact. And she also produces the annual Connect Up Minnesota Summit, which again promotes and grows this inclusive ecosystem for entrepreneurs. Rasmussen is again, she has won so many awards and I'm just so thrilled that she was willing to take the time to be on our podcast. She was recently featured um, in Fearless Commerce Magazine and received the National Association of Women Business Owners Achieved Innovation Award for her work on inclusive economic development. And again, I am just so, so thrilled that she is here to help share her story. Thank you, Charity. It's so great to be back again and uh, be a part of your podcast. Thank you. I'd love for you to share in your own words a little bit more about your background and what you've been doing for the past how many years working with communities and all of your work in the social impact space. I think if I were to tell you my whole entire background, particularly at the age I'm at, I there wouldn't be a show because it'd be a couple of days <laughs> long. But most recently now, I worked in philanthropy and before all of that, before starting this business, which is my third foray into entrepreneurship. The first two, I fell into them by accident due to a long protracted time of unemployment. But this time was actually on purpose. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I've been, I've started this company four years ago. And I, when it was funny, because when I left my last job, I had no intentions of starting a company. I, that wasn't, that was the furthest thing away from my mind. It actually wasn't until I was recruited as a, for a CEO position in the Southwest for an organization down there, was offered a job and realized I didn't want to work for anyone who really wasn't thinking in a very progressive, outside of the box, disruptive, uh, innovative, future thinking way. Mm -hmm. And the organization that I was looking at considering working for, they wanted to do a little bit of experimentation. But at th that point in my life, um, I was in my mid 40s. I was just not interested in doing that. I really, at the, I started thinking about what do I want to do with the second half of my life, seeing that mm -hmm. the first half of my life was very grounded in corporate America. The first half of my life felt I often compromised who I was in order to fit this, what I perceived was a norm, which 
we now can call patriarchy, white supremacy, but all of the things that I thought were expected of me, but I still wasn't getting to the places and spaces that I wanted to. So I thought if I'm not going to be in the places and spaces that I wanted to, and I was abiding by all the quote unquote rules, well, I'm going to do what I want to do since I'm not there anyway. <laughs> so it was really this, it was really a releasing moment of, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, Hey, the kids on the playground don't like me. And I'm trying to do all these jump through these hoops to make them like me. Why don't I just be myself? Cause they're not going to like me anyway. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was really a, a defining moment for me to be like, I really, the next thing that I want to do, I really wanted it to be really grounded from a place of my identity. I wanted to be able to represent other people who shared all of my identities as well as their own to be able to uh, be my whole self and bring my whole self to my work and be appreciated and acknowledged for that, or at least own that. And so it really led to me starting Social Impact Strategies Group and producing an event called Connect Up. So what Social Impact Strategies Group is, we have three buckets of work. The first bucket is we do consulting and facilitation specifically around economic, inclusive economic development. And we do social impact audits and design and implementation. And we also do racial equity audits and implementation. So typically what we tell people is once you've gone through your diversity, equity, inclusion training, and you've cried all your tears, we're the ones who actually come in and help you figure out what now in the organization needs to change as a result of you going through your DEI training. So that's the first bucket of work. We also work with investors to help them think about or work with sources of capital to think about how can they make their capital more accessible to underestimated entrepreneurs like people of color, rural folks, Native Americans, queer and trans people. The second bucket of work is we provide education. So we provide investor education to help people who have money align their values with their money beyond their philanthropy. And then we work with entrepreneurs around helping them grow their businesses, scale their businesses. So specifically, uh, we work with early growth, second stage businesses. And the reason for that is in our community, and I'm seeing this more broadly, there there's a lot of resources that help startups. And then there's resources for you when you get to, you know, you start hitting that peak. We, we call it, we use a, a baseball analogy. So we have lots of resources that get you to first base and we have lots of resources that get you from third base to home. What we don't have is a lot of resources, network and capital to get you from first base to second base and second base to third base. So what, what we do is our education really squares squarely lies on that second, that first to third base. What are the resources you need? What are the networks you need? And oftentimes we find that that's really has to do with like your back office, your infrastructure, but that's the education piece. And then the third piece, as I mentioned earlier, is an annual conference called Connect Up. And Connect Up is really about connecting entrepreneurs from underestimated communities with local investors and the entrepreneur ecosystem. So what we like to say is it's a one-stop shop. So for all of our lunchtime CEOs, for all the folks that are working their full-time job while growing their business, calling them lunchtime CEOs, what we do is you can come to this conference and you can probably meet many, if not all, of the organizations that help support entrepreneurs all in a two-day period. But you're also going to begin to start to build 
relationships and cross-pollinate your network with other folks whom you probably would not ever be able to meet and be able to, we, we say that we're pollinators of relationships. And this is really not about a pitch competition uh, and guaranteeing you an investor, but this is, we know that people invest in people. And we know that our networks tend to look like us. So we have to be intentional about cross-pollinating our networks. If we want any of the disparities, if any of the gaps, such as the wealth gap, the education gap, to, to shift in any meaningful way, that's going to come through relationships. So that's what we do in a nutshell. We've been working on this for four years. And um, even in the midst of COVID, the pandemic, we are still going strong. And it feels like our services and what we offer is needed now more than ever. Yeah. And those tools and resources that you provide are not only critical, but I mean, transformational for communities. So I'm I'm so excited that I've been able to meet someone as inspiring as you doing such incredible work. So I just, I just wanted, there's so much, there's so many good nuggets and I want to ask you so many questions based on everything you just said, but I'm just going to stick to a couple few to start out with. And I think the first thing I want to just kind of touch on is you mentioned, you know, how earlier part of your life, you're busy doing the corporate thing, living in a, someone else's box, what society dictated, right? And kind of breaking free from that and saying, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. And you're, you don't like me now, so might as well like be who I am fully. It doesn't matter, right? And so I, I really like that because I know for myself, having worked in corporate America and just trying to play the part and realizing, you know what, this, this isn't what I'm meant to do. <laughs> like my life is meant for more than this and trying to delve deeper into who I am. I know that you yourself have gone through this journey of finding your authentic self and mm -hmm. having that fully expressed through the work that you're doing. Well, I think it's a few things that happened to collide. I think it was really a stars aligning. Right. And, um, so I, it, it came late for me, but I think it was partly age. You just get to a point or I should say I got to a point where I was just done. I was just done performing. I was just done. I was tapped out. And the funny thing was, it wasn't so much that I had lost my authentic self outside of work, right? It was just this code switching between yeah. how I behaved at work, how I showed up at work, and then how I showed up with friends and family outside of that. Right. So my 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 nature is I'm a goofball. I'm a nerd. My friends know that about me. They clown me all the time. I don't feel bad about that in any way, shape, form or fashion. Um, I love goofy shows. I definitely relate to Issa Rae, awkward black girl on YouTube and, and insecure. Like that's my jam. That's like that was me. That was my total life. Um, I was just more broke. I didn't grow up in a middle class home. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I, 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 I was always, I think my friends would always say that I was always my authentic self when I was with them. But to have to code switch every day is very exhausting. Mm. To have to go into a corporate environment and know your hair has to be a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. And people calling you into the office, into HR to talk to you about stupid stuff that's just so not important or relevant to actually getting your job done. And it's actually mm -hmm. an emotional suck. It's a time suck. It's a, you know, physical bandwidth suck to just have to mentally and spiritually deal with those conversations. And to be able to get to, you know, you just, I got to an age. And I think part of this was also my, my son, I was a single parent. I, I have a very supportive husband now, but 
at the time, I mean, I my I was I was I was a single parent till about the time my son was about 15, 16 years old. And just the exhaustion of that and seeing that he was getting ready to go off to graduate high school and he was joining the military. Um, that's a, there's a weight that lifts off your shoulders, one financially because he was attending private school, but also just spiritually like this human is going out to I don't have to be what I needed, I used to have to be for him as a parent, right? So it was my life was convergence of, I left this job, I was at a certain age, my kid was getting ready to leave, leave, you know, off into his adulthood. And it was just crushing to really come face to face with what do I want to do with the second half of my life? Um, Not to say that I'm not happy with the first half of my life. I've enjoyed some great success. I've, I've done well at every single job that I I've ever had. I've always excelled. I've always left my job better than when I came in the job. I always left my job with more pay than when I came into the job. And I left the job always with a higher title when, um, than when I came into the job, but all of that is surface stuff, right? All of it doesn't mean anything. If you felt like you've had to compromise your being, your existence Mm -hmm. enable in order to participate in that, it's just, you get to a point of introspection where you're like, you want to have more. And I'm, it's so impressive that the young people coming up in these generations are starting from that place and actually not working or choosing not to work for a company that's not aligned with their personal mission. I'm so admiring, you know, I admire that, but also being, being kind to myself that coming up in 1988, that just was not a reality. Like me following my passion would be like me, like going to AmeriCorps, like, you know, and just, and, and it just wasn't really an option if I wanted to have a certain kind of lifestyle, right? It just wasn't, mm-hmm. you had to go in and, and as a young black woman, professional black woman, I was going to be limited by the opportunities. That's not to say that you can't break through those, but it takes a lot of emotional work. It takes a lot of spiritual work. It takes a lot of, you get beaten down. And so, um, to, you know, the, the, I was captured in a time and space where there were just limitations, period. But one, the world has shifted. There's a lot more opportunities. And I think not so much because the world is open, but your generation is demanding those opportunities as opposed to waiting and asking for those opportunities. So that for me is what's so beautiful about you young women coming up nowadays of just really being unrelenting and unwilling um, to, to, to settle, I think is a beautiful thing. But for me, it was really just this convergence of, I, I would say, opportunity by where I was in my life and really wanting to dictate what the second half of my book or the second half of my life book look like and really wanting to be an author of that as opposed to a reader of that. But then really just saying, I don't give a fuck in the second half of my life moving forward. And I'm like, if I'm going to fail, I, mean, I remember telling my husband when I started this business, I said, listen, he's like, he was really scared. He was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, listen, if I'm going to do what I want to do, I want to go down in a ball of flames. I, I'm like, either well, this is, thing is going to be wildly successful, but I'm going to go out in a ball of fire doing what I want to do because I can always get another job. I'm an educated mm-hmm. woman. 
I can always get another job. So why don't I just do this thing to the wheels fall off? And it's been an amazing ride. I've been so fortunate that I've got a great team that works for me. They're all ride or die people. They're amazing. And I definitely could not do it without them. And I learn from them, I think, as much as they say that they learn from me on a daily, on a regular basis. And it's just a beautiful thing. Was there a moment where you felt that you had that inspirational moment to say, okay, I know exactly what it is that I'm going to do. When I was 13, I wanted to be a psychologist, but then I found out how much, how many years you got to be in school. And I was like, nope, that's not for me. (laughs) But I think I've always stayed kind of close to, I love neuroscience. I love understanding people. And so with my master's degree, I got a master's in conflict analysis and resolution, which is really about understanding people in conflict and how people participate in conflict, how they don't participate in conflict, what are the what's the psychosis behind different kinds of conflict, whether they be interpersonal or whether they be in an international scale. And then I got to work at the State Department, work doing crisis management curriculum development for foreign service officers. I would create exercises and activities while foreign service officers were being trained. So I would just say, you know, as you can see here, and I won't go through my whole long history, I think that you can have those decision points all along your life. And it's about recognizing them. Cause I think particularly as women, we often, we often downplay those very critical decision points and we attribute them to something else, but, and we don't give ourselves enough credit of like, no, we actually made a decision that this was something that we wanted. And it was okay that that was something that we wanted, especially if it was something that we wanted at a time that may have seen from the outside inappropriate and attainable. But, you know, people try to make you feel ashamed or dumb because you're pursuing something that they wouldn't pursue. And I think it's really Mm -hmm. important to remember that a lot of times when people are hating on you, it's less about you and more about them. And if you can remember that and not let that person's stuff cloud your judgment or what you're trying to do, I think we'd be better off. And what concerns me is like our our social media culture kind of does the same thing, right? But it's in a much more passive, aggressive way of, hey, if you if you want if you want to wear stripes and polka dots, rock stripes and polka dots. But this whole like culture, this whole cancel culture of oh my God, that's what you're doing. That's what you're wearing. And people can be anonymous or hide behind a screen to be able to like do that. Really, really, really concerns me about, are we going to be going backwards in how how we as individuals make decisions? And will we continue to see that boldness when we have such a strong and pervasive cancel culture? What you're talking about makes so much sense. And I was speaking at a conference and one of the things that I was talking about when I was talking about pursuing your passions was that, you don't need permission. You're, you're allowed to want what you want. It's okay. You don't need someone to sign off. And I think that that's something that uh, a lot of people struggle with. They just, they want, they want approval. And yes, social media kind of reinforces that in a way we, we want. How many likes can we get? If I don't get enough likes, it must not be good enough. I need to do something different. When in reality, you should just do what you want to do. And, you know, if people like you, then they like you. If they don't, oh, well. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I know what you're doing is, is so powerful as you're you're helping all the different under-resourced communities, black and brown communities, lots of minorities that need access to various forms of 
relationships with investors, different different resources. And I love what you talk about cross pollinization because it's completely true how how we tend to flock together with groups that are like us, but then we miss out on the opportunities that come with having a diverse array of different types of people that can help benefit us as we move forward in our companies and leadership projects. So I want to hear a little bit more about what what your experience has been with the Connect Up conference that you've been hosting throughout the years. Incredible. It has been, this was something that was literally a back of the napkin idea. I had been speaking with folks in the entrepreneur ecosystem. I obviously was speaking with entrepreneurs and it became crystal clear to me that the disconnect was relationships to really yeah. get down to relationships was just that it was nowhere to be found so mm-hmm. i thought okay if i wanted to if i really wanted to be intentional about building relationships what did that look like and i wanted to get a really concrete image of what that looked like and the concrete image that i came up with was i want people to meet somebody at breakfast and when they see them at lunch they actually remembered their name And that was the image that I, that's the image that I keep with me when we're developing the next iteration of the conference. We've now had three. Not only do we ask how many connections have you made, we're like, actually, did you follow through with those connections? Because we always meet new people at a conference, right? I'm sure you met a lot of people at SoCap, but how many people did you actually follow up with? Whether it be a phone call, an email, or an actual like coffee day. And then we, we go back to people and we ask them, 90 days after the conference. And then we ask them again, 180 days after the conference to really see, are we doing what we say we were going to do, which is you have fostered new relationships. And our goal is that each person fosters at least three new relationships every time they come to connect up. But it has just been amazing and we've been able to grow it. And and our goal is that we want to bring connect up into other communities and replicate it. So I wanted to ask you, because I know in general, we can talk a little bit about the bias that goes within different investor spectrums and things like that. I know for me, I went to USC to finish my master's and it was just really funny how like some professors like didn't know about this whole bias thing. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm just like, what, what what are you talking about? It's just when you're surrounded in an environment that, that may not necessarily reflect all of the different communities that it should reflect, you know, a lot, a lot of people are not educated about these social issues. So how do you, how do you approach different types of investors that may not understand that it's, it's a need to overcome and what's your process for that? That's a great question. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to admittedly say, I don't know that I have a good answer. Uh, Part of my answer is rooted in arrogance. There are, there are there are three groups of people. There's the choir. There are the naysayers or folks that are ignorant, right? And so there's a whole like there's a layered pool within that, right? People who don't believe it's a thing, people who don't know it's a thing, people who have heard it's a thing, but they're like, well, but that doesn't impact me. So, so in that other group, you know, you've you've got layers, of, but they're 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 on the opposite of people who are the believers, right? Mm-hmm. They have what's, what I like to call the movable middle. And even with some of the people who are part of the choir, even 
many of them are problematic, right? <laughs> because the way that they show up is actually not helpful and they're not as woke as they think they are. They're mm. that's to the point that they're actually problematic. And I don't have the emotional or physical energy to deal with them. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to be honest, right? So, mm-hmm. so I like to concentrate on the movable middle. And these are people who are, hey, I know there's a problem. I know I have privilege. I know that there, there are pockets of this space or this conversation or this diaspora that I'm ignorant to, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to hear. I'm willing to participate, even if it's in some limited way. And so a lot of the question that I, that I usually start people with, particularly when we're doing consulting, I ask people, are you looking to do charity or are you looking to do change? Those are two completely different things. They are both very important right? We need charity. American. We need American Red Cross to keep doing what American Red Cross does, right? But if you want to do change, that calls for a very different set of tactics, a different set of strategies, a different set of modalities and consciousness that is very different than charity. Charity is very passive. You can give the money to United Way and know that it's going to be spent and know that it's going to go into community. If you're going to do change, that does require you to do some sort of self-analysis. And I call it the, the moment of inception, right? Once you start to see the systems breakdowns resulting in the disparities that we see, and you ask, actually see it up close and personal, you can now not unknow it, right? And it's, it's interesting because I have these conversations with my, my husband, who is of, of Norwegian descent. He's a white guy. And, and um, you know, we've had these conversations about how he has been oblivious to so much of the subtle racism to see how it shows up uh, and to think to be reflective and think back of how it showed up in, in the organizations that he's worked for, which were predominantly white. And then also to see how it shows up for us as an interracial couple today in 2020, to still get some of the comments, to still get some of the stares, to still get some of the, the side looks, to be like people come up to us and say like the shittiest things. And and for some people, they don't believe that those things are happening, right? They, they you know, they believe we live in a post-racial society and that's just not the case. So I think that it's really about um, how do I how do I talk with investors? Part of this also, what factors into this is my own mental and spiritual health, right? Because there, you this this work requires you to do a lot of mental gymnastics, and particularly as a woman of color, I'm the one who has to bend in order for them to see. And do I have the emotional fortitude in that moment to be able to do that? And sometimes I don't. And when I don't, I have to I have to be very body aware of how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and what I'm capable of in order to know whether or not what conversations I can engage in and when, and being very clear about like that does, if I have to disengage from a conversation that has nothing to do with me, but it's really about taking care of myself so that I can show up in the next conversation. There is such a grounded white supremacy and, and, and racism that's embedded in investing and period mm-hmm. and even impact investing. Right. And we look at, impact investing and our and we've had questions where we've raised questions with investors and we're like okay so you you invested in this thing that was called an impact investment what was the impact and i i will tell you people have been upset with us for asking that question because they felt it was a judgment it was just a question that 
oh, you didn't ask that question. That's what you're really upset about. You're not upset at me. You're upset that you didn't do the follow-up mm-hmm. to find out, did you actually have impact or what was the impact of this thing that you were promised was supposed to have impact? It gets to a point where the rubber hits the road if you're going to do change work, which is kind of where impact investing likes to say that it is. But it still sometimes, oftentimes, operates from a charity mindset. So breaking mm-hmm. through that and challenging people around their thinking, and, and not challenging them in an aggressive way, but challenging through query. And I'm sure you studied, you know, studied this in your master's. It's like it's about asking questions and be able to go a little bit deeper and asking more questions. I think I used to teach a business ethics class, and I used to tell my students, I go, listen, I'm not here to tell you what's right or what's wrong. Before your face hits the the, the cover of the Los Angeles Times or the Star Tribune, have at least consciously gone through the thought process of deciding. Yes, I was okay with that decision. And these are the reasons why. Doesn't mean that they're good or that they're bad, but that you are conscientious. It's like, I'm not here to judge anybody. I am not here to make you feel bad about the decision. But I do want you to be clear on the reasons why you made the decisions that you made about and thoughtful. Oftentimes in impact investing, there really is no thought behind it, which then for me, questions of then why, why are you choosing impact investing over the public market if you're not even questioning what you're putting your money into or what it, what's happening on the other side of it. You can do that in the public market. Yeah. And I, I, I see that too. Just thinking through that, <laughs> people need to think through their decision-making process and why it's important and also the outcome. So what advice would you give to a woman starting out in this type of space? I would say fake it till you make it. You're going to be Okay. <laughs> Because <laughs> it, it it does take a lot of fortitude and sometimes you don't always have it. So you've got to fake it. You've just got to fake that you've got that fortitude because there's still sexism. There's still racism. It's I would say tech and finance are the last vestiges of those 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 things. And so know going in that um, you need to protect yourself. It's OK to say no. It's OK if some people don't like you. Don't worry about that. I, I would say worry about it to the point of. You, you want to have relationships and you don't want to like piss on your relationships, but at the same time, be firm in your boundaries and, and be clear about your vision and what you're trying to do and, 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 and be able to articulate that so that at least even if they're not clear about what the hell they're doing, you're super clear about what you're doing and the path you're making and the impact that you want to have. And that will speak volumes and it will get you into some doors. It might not get you into others, but it more than likely will get in the doors that you actually want to be in. And I know throughout this talk, we've t- you've talked a lot about uh, fortitude. And so how do you stay mentally and spiritually strong so that you can be able to give and also set those boundaries? I would say, one, I have an extremely supportive family. Um, my staff, we laugh a lot. There's lots of music and dancing in our office. <laughs> and then finally, I would say happy hours. I, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I don't schedule meetings after three o'clock. If you are meeting with me after three o'clock, it is a happy hour. And I only spend time with people after four o'clock with, pe- with people who bring me joy, whether that's in the finance sector or the impact investing sector, sector or the entrepreneur sector. I'm really guarded with my time and I will not spend time with people after three o'clock if they are not people who bring me joy. That's good. I love that. And what would you say is a favorite quote or saying that you live by? Ooh, wow. Can't stop, won't stop. That's good. So, you know, you've you've done a lot of work. You have. And and you've had a 
a roller coaster, various cycles within your career. And, you know, within the one that you're, you've been working on right now, it's, it's obviously brought you a lot of joy. And so what would you say is the next thing coming up for you? Oh, wow. So many things. Well, we're going to be launching a fund, an integrated capital fund, which is meant to provide blended capital for entrepreneurs of color. We're also looking into getting into some policy work and informing some policy around best ways to support small business, particular entrepreneurs of color and rural entrepreneurs and Native American entrepreneurs. And we're also looking at developing some software solutions and some um, fintech platform. So we've got a lot of stuff in the hopper. So hopefully the next time I'd love to come back to your show and, and tell you to to talk about what we've launched. That's so awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you've got a lot going on. When an entrepreneur comes up to me, I'm like, I boosted my revenue by 20% because of something that you told me to do. I'm like, that's what gets me excited. That's what during the hard days when I have conversations with racist or sexist people, You know, I'll get a little note from one of these folks. They'll send me like a a text message or they'll send me like a a message on Facebook Messenger or Instagram. And that's what fills my heart. I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, What I'm doing is the right thing. It's what's needed. And that's what keeps me going. I I love that. It it just brings a lot of joy to yourself and, and you're able to operate that much more freely with what you're doing. So how can people reach out to you? Where can they find you? Absolutely. So we have two websites, www.connectupmn, as M is in Mary, N is in Nancy, dot com. Our second website is currently under construction, but we're going to get that up by the end of the month. And that is www.socialimpactnow.com. If you'd like to email us, you can email me at connect at connectupmn.com. We're offering right now during COVID, we're offering free office hours. So if you need some help to think through your business strategy, you're trying to figure out how you can realign or pivot your business during this time. But keep an eye out for Connect Up coming to your town. If you're interested in bringing Connect Up to your town, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, whether you're a city policymaker, an entrepreneur ecosystem builder, um, and you're, you'd, you think you might want to bring Connect Up to your town, please email us at that same email address and we'll be happy to, to, to talk that through for you and see if it's a good fit. Thank you so much. And again, as someone myself who's been a community organizer for so many years, I love that you're tapping into other people to help bring it about that change in in numerous cities all over the place. And I have a lot of respect for the work that you do. Hi, ladies. We know it's a difficult time right now in America and around the globe. We face injustice, racial injustice, and We stand with Black Lives Matter and mourn for George Floyd and those affected by police brutality and so many other areas that are caused by racial injustice. And now more than ever, we see how important it is to take action in our local communities and find support and resources to help us move forward for a better world. And that's why I want to invite you to be a part of our women's Facebook group. It's an opportunity for us to come together and support each other during these difficult times because doing what's right, standing up for what you believe in, that takes guts. It's no easy thing. And so one of our main goals since the beginning with 
our platform has been to create a more inclusive world, close that diversity gap within everything that we do. And that's why we work hard to amplify black voices and people of color. You know, uh, many times in this space, this social impact space, um, unfortunately, most of the time, at least in my experience, I have not seen as many be the speakers at conferences, uh, be the leaders that are highlighted at different events. So now is the time for us to come together as women leaders and entrepreneurs creating change. So again, we'll see you in our Facebook group, Women Sparking Impact. And I'm really excited and hopeful for our future as we come together in our supportive sisterhood and help each other every step of the way. Because no matter what social issue you are passionate about, there is a way for us to bring about systemic change. Thank you.